0: Audio. Welcome to Truth Tribe with Doug Grotheis, where we seek the truth about the things that matter most with reason and evidence. Today, I'm going to talk about Christianity and nationalism, and I'd like to begin with a quote from Matthew 22, 15 through 22. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him, that is, Jesus, in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity, that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us, then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. Matthew 22, 15 through 22. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now, 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. I'd like to read some commentary on this from my book, On Jesus. And this really sets the stage for a discussion of Christianity and nationalism. The Pharisees, powerful religious leaders of the Jews, were ardent nationalists who opposed the rule that Rome had imposed on the Jews in Palestine. The Herodians, on the other hand, were followers and defenders of the Herods, the Roman rulers, who strictly and oppressively governed Palestine. After some initial flattery about Jesus' integrity, they tried to spring a trap. Tell us, then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus faced a tough dilemma. If he sided with the Pharisees, he might be seen as an insurrectionist and as a dangerous element, as were the zealots, Jews who defended violent revolution against the state. If Jesus affirmed paying taxes, he would be viewed as selling out to a secular and ungodly power Instead of honoring Israel's God, he would be denounced as disloyal. This was not a win-win situation. As Matthew tells us, the Pharisees had laid plans to trap him in his words. Jesus responded by asking for the coin used to pay the tax in Denarius. He asked, whose portrait is this and whose inscription? They replied that it was Caesar's. Jesus uttered the now famous words, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. At this the delegation dispersed in amazement at his answer. Jesus displayed a cool head and a sharp mind. When confronted with a classic dilemma pertaining to what we would call church-state relations, he finds a way logically to escape from between the horns of the dilemma. Jesus gives a place to the rule of Caesar under God without making Caesar God. Caesar's portrait on the coin, a bust of Tiberius, had an inscription ascribing deity to the emperor. When he differentiates Caesar from God, Jesus strips Caesar of his supposed deity. Jesus' saying, while short and pithy, has inspired many political philosophers to explicate and apply the concept of a limited state in relation to religion and the rest of culture, while not offering a developed political philosophy, no one was asking for that anyway, Jesus shows a deep awareness of the issues involved and responds intelligently under public pressure. On other occasions as well, Jesus shows himself to be neither a disloyal Jew nor an insurrectionist. He refers to God, not Caesar, as Lord of heaven and earth, Matthew 11.25, but does not eliminate temporal authority. At his trial preceding his execution, Jesus informs Pilate, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. John 19, 11. Before addressing the issue of Christianity and nationalism, I'd like to talk a bit about the Christian worldview in general, based on the Bible as holy and authoritative scripture, The universe is not self-standing. The universe was created by God a finite time ago. God put human beings on earth. He made them in his image and likeness and told them to have dominion over the creation. But we know that our first parents fell into sin. They disobeyed God. And the results of that disobedience have been with us ever since. We live in a fallen, broken, and rebellious world. But God continues to pursue human beings, he reveals himself in nature, he sends prophets, and he ultimately comes in the person of Jesus Christ as our Redeemer, and he leaves us Scripture as our infallible guide for all of life. So we have creation, fall, redemption, and eventually consummation, where the universe will be purged and judged and restored. We see that discussed in Romans eight eighteen through 24 1 Corinthians 15, Revelation 21, and 22. This will come at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Biblically, the state is viewed as limited, and it is under God's judgment. We are told that human beings in society— which is greater than the state. The state is civil government, but there are other spheres of government, such as self-government, family government, church government, and so on. Human beings in society have been put where they are by God. Acts 17.26 says this, From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Acts 17.26 So wherever we are, we should seek the welfare of the city where God has placed us. This is what God told the exiles from Jeremiah 29.4-7. And Christians are exiles, in a sense, wherever they may be. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So God is telling the exiles, and indirectly he is telling us, that we should seek the welfare of wherever we are, because as America prospers, we too will prosper. Let me talk a bit about the American vision for the nation and for civil government. The Declaration of Independence says that God, our Creator, is the eternal source of moral law. We read, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Notice that the pursuit of happiness means the pursuit of virtue. It is not a call to hedonism and notice that these truths about unalienable rights are said to be based on the creator not based on the civil government rather it says governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed so part of the american vision is that human beings are created equal but we know from other documents of the founding such as the constitution that human beings are flawed and fallen. In fact, when the declaration was written, Thomas Jefferson the principal author owned slaves, but one could be better than one's one could write better than one lives. And part of the American vision and ideal is to live up to these founding Principles. And I address this in a lot more detail in my book, Fire in the Streets. But part of this American vision is that there's no utopia through politics. The American Revolution was not a revolution similar to the French Revolution, which wanted to recreate humanity and recreate society through revolution. This was a godless, lawless, and utopian revolution that did not last very long until authoritarianism took over with Napoleon. But before that, thousands were killed and uh, much mischief was done. So the American Revolution is just the polar opposite of the French Revolution. And today, really, the forces that vie for control of American society can be pretty nicely divided between those that adhere to the principles of the American Revolution of 1776 and those who adhere to the French Revolution of 1789. According to the American viewpoint, civil government should be limited. It is under God. We have a separation of powers because... The Founders knew that we should not concentrate too much power in any one branch, so we have the executive, the judicial, and the legislative. And moreover, civil government is said to depend on the consent of the governed. So we have the the we-the-people approach. Moreover, the First Amendment speaks of ordered liberty under law. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble, and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So, we have the no establishment clause. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, which means there will be no federal church. There will be no Church of the United States of America. However, after that clause, we have the Free Exercise Clause, Congress shall make no law prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the other freedoms, speech, press, peaceable assembly, and the petition of the government for redress of grievances. So this means that Americans who are citizens and who are Christians have the right and the opportunity to exercise a Christian influence in every area of their life, whether that is self-government, church government, government of a school, or the civil government. Now, what about nationalism? How do we even define nationalism? That's not easy. But nationalism comes in a variety of shapes and sizes and emphases. The general idea of nationalism is that One should put one's nation first, and one should seek the welfare of one's nation. Now, put that way, it sounds, I hope, harmless, and perhaps even beneficial. But let's go on. What is good about nationalism? There's nothing wrong with the principle of patriotism, that is, love of one's country, as long as the love of one's country is not put above the love of God, because Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and the second is like it, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Well, God has placed us in whatever nation we are in, and we should love one another within that nation, and we should also love our nation, but not put the love of nation above the law and character of God. Now, many on the scene today, myself included, desire that the leaders of America put American interests first above global concerns dictated by transnational bodies, such as the United Nations or other forms of global governance. This is because nations generally know what is best for them and should not be subject to some international governing authority. That is especially true for the United States now what could be wrong with nationalism if someone affirms my country right or wrong this is wrong because if your country is wrong then that should be judged and exposed and Christians should seek to serve God, love God and glorify God above one's country moreover if there's any emphasis on white nationalism or black nationalism, or red nationalism, or brown nationalism, or blue nationalism, then you're putting one race above others as having greater moral standing, and that is morally wrong, because we are all made in the image and likeness of God. We are all sinful and fall short of the glory of God, and we all need to be redeemed through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. However, while I've spoken against white nationalism, Some whites feel marginalized by certain policies, such as affirmative action and other preferential policies. They believe that race is being put higher than competence, and some are concerned about that, and I am one of them. And if you'd like to know the details of my position and why I oppose affirmative action, then please read about that in my book, Fire in the Streets. I was Taught to affirm, to critique affirmative action a long time ago, about 40 years ago, by an African American economist and social critic, Thomas Sowell. Now, another problem uh, some exalt America to the status of being a chosen nation, which is wrong because the idea of a chosen nation applies only to ancient Israel and, in a different sense, to the Church, First Peter 2.9. Now, I won't go into the issue of the status of Israel and God's eschatological timetable. I believe that God has a special place and favor for the nation of Israel. However, that is not identical to their standing during the Old Covenant period. I saw a tweet by a congresswoman a few years ago that said, God only chose two nations, Israel and America. Well, she got one of them right. Now, in terms of America, I do ascribe to what is called American exceptionalism, which simply means that the origin and nature and placement of America is exceptional among the nations of the earth. But this does not exempt us from scrutiny or even divine judgment, because, as Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. And again, for more on that, please see what I say in my book, Fire in the Streets. Let's talk about the Christian citizen. All things being equal, the Christian citizen should abide by the laws of the land. Let me read Romans thirteen one through 5 Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. This is Paul writing. Consequently... They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Now, part of this will be to vote responsibly. If you have no idea what is going on politically, what the issues are, or if you don't have some kind of a worked-out political philosophy, I encourage you not to vote because you're not in a position of knowledge. But if you have done those things, then you should vote and be involved, perhaps, in political campaigns. Moreover, consider public service as a possible calling. That is, God might want to use you as a mayor or governor or senator or congresswoman or something like that. Consider that as a way to serve God. I certainly am not called to that. My calling is that of a teacher and a writer. However, I try to contribute to the public good by voicing my perspectives on various social, political issues. However, even in light of what Romans 13, one through 5 says about submitting to the government, we must never put the state above God. Let me read you something here from Psalm ninety four twenty through 23 Can a corrupt throne be, allied, be aligned with you? a throne that brings on misery by its decrees? The wicked band together against the righteous and condemn the innocent death. But the Lord has become my fortress and my God, the rock, in whom I take refuge. He will repay them for their sins and destroy them for their wickedness. The Lord, our God, will destroy them. And along these lines, let me read a statement from Francis Schaeffer's excellent book from over 40 years ago called A Christian Manifesto. The civil government has all of life, stands under the law of God. In this fallen world, God has given us certain offices that protect us from the chaos which is the natural result of that fallenness. But when any office commands that which is contrary to the word of God, those who hold that office abrogate their authority and are not to be obeyed, and that includes the state. God has ordained the state as a delegated authority. It is not autonomous. The state is to be an agent of justice, to restrain evil by punishing the wrongdoer, and to protect the good in society. When it does the reverse, it has no proper authority. It is then a usurped authority, and as such it becomes lawless and is a tyranny. And for a biblical example, you can look at Exodus chapter 1, where the Egyptian government told Shipra and Puah to kill Jewish babies, and they did not. They protected them, and they spared their lives, and when they were asked why they had not killed any of the Jewish babies, these were midwives, they, uh, they said, oh, the women of the Jews give birth very quickly, and we couldn't get there in time. And that was a lie, and it was a justified lie because it was the only way to save lives. So the scripture there, Nexus 1, tells us that God blessed them. My point here is not to go on about the issue of lying, which I might in another podcast. Uh, don't worry, I'm not an antinomian about truth by any means. But my point is that Shipra and Pua were commended and blessed by God because of their resistance to the Egyptian civil government. And lastly, in this quick journey through Christianity and nationalism, we should pray for the civil government. When I was working on my book, Fire in the Streets, I decided to buy several American flag pins. And this wasn't because I was running for political office, but because it reminded me to pray and to be thankful for and fearful for my country. This is from First Timothy 2, 1-3. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. That's Paul writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 1-3. Some suggested readings, I've mentioned my book about 27 times, Fire in the Streets, which is a critique of critical race theory and also speaks of the American vision of society from a biblical viewpoint. I also recommend Oz Guinness, the book Impossible People, Christian Courage and the Struggle for the Soul of a Civilization. Two more by Oz Guinness, Last Call for Liberty, and then a book on a general sense of what the call means for Christians, whether they're involved in politics or not. That is a book simply called The Call. And then Victor Davis Hanson's book, The Dying Citizen, and a book I also just mentioned, Francis Schaeffer, A Christian Manifesto. This has been Doug Grotheis with Truth Tribe. If you'd like to know more about me and my ministry, you can go to douglasgrothuis.com Thank you for listening, and please tell your friends about this podcast. Truth Tribe is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. This This is my skyship dreamer. My cargo is stories, and our destination dreams. With Abide Sleep Stories for Kids, you can help your children fall asleep fast and learn about God. To find these kids' bedtime stories, go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Stories for Kids. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.